We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. DFS podcast brought to you by FanDuel. With Bruno on vacation, the Rotowire football duo will be making their long way to return to the mics. Oh, yeah. Like Ace and Gary from that old SNL skit, man. You didn't even let me come into the intro here. You're oh. already jumping ahead. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Our chemistry is all <laughs> off right now, John. This is this is a problem from the get-go. I think, I think the weather's doing it to me. It's like throwing me off. It's too nice in Wisconsin, is that yes, what you're saying? that's exactly it's what I'm saying. It's a balmy 65 degrees, and we're in mid-November right now. And yet tomorrow we're expected to have... Snow, we're expected to have, uh, I, I think the Abominable Snowman is actually going to make an appearance. Great. Just in time for me to drive to the airport. Yeah, well, you won't have to worry about it. You're going to be in sunny San Diego for the next two and a half weeks or whatever. True, true. So, Or, or Maryland, whatever. <laughs> Same which, difference. <laughs> which one's better? Would you rather be in Wisconsin or Maryland at this uh, time of the year? Mm, well, I mean, if it stayed like this, I would like to stay in Wisconsin. But, I mean, I haven't been back to Maryland in like six months, so just looking forward to 
being back in the area, so getting pumped for that. What's the one thing you're most excited for? And are you going to be back in Maryland with the fam? Yeah, I mean, mostly just, just seeing the boys, uh, seeing my friends that I haven't seen, you know, since before the summer. So that's the big thing, and seeing the family as well. And uh, got some cats back home, too. Say hi to my cats. And, How uh, many cats do you have? Well, I have two cats. That I made it sound like I'm a crazy cat person. I thought there's I've, some slang at first to that. No, you're saying you literally have cats. You yep. have two cats at home. I have two cats, Charles and Seamus. How come you haven't imported those over to Wisconsin? Uh, because I think my dad would lose his mind. <laughs> he, he needs them. He hates them? He needs them. Oh, he needs, he needs them. the cats. Okay. He needs He's them. a total empty nester without him. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so Seamus is one cat. Right? Yes. That was definitely after the WWE wrestler, right? It was actually named after... Uh, Archer's illegitimate son on the show, Archer. <laughs> I, I don't even have anything else to say <laughs> to that. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just leave it there. We'll, we'll move past it. Uh, I know I have to drop the Twitter handle so you can follow Joe, uh, Joe Bartle, and myself at JB Fantasy Sports. John, just go ahead and give the give the crew the handle right away. I'm at Johnny McKex. Uh, I need to rebrand myself, but uh, for now, it's Johnny McKex, and it's J-O-H-N-N-Y. M-C-K-E-C-H-S. You can just make a Twitter handle off of your cat's names. <laughs> the Charles and Seamus guy. <laughs> there, there's worse handles out there for fantasy people, right? I, I, I hope so. I think so. Maybe. I, I'm assuming that there, there would be. I guess I really haven't looked around that hard, but I'm <laughs> anticipating there's somebody worse than that one, at least. And there would be a little fun to it. All right. True. I, I need to stop with this. we we got to go past this intro. So let's go ahead and break down the Thursday night game. Um, I'll be honest. I tuned in about halfway through, um, and I did want to see this. We were just getting everything else set up for the holidays. But Panthers taking on the Saints. Panthers end up winning 23-20 despite some, well, I would say lackadaisical effort by the Saints in the second half. Right. There were a lot of statistics to be had, but I wouldn't say they were good ones in that sense. I mean... Ugly, ugly box scores all around. Yeah. The the best one when we were going through it earlier was Drew Brees, 34 for 44, which is impressive in itself, 34 completions out of that. But he only had 285 yards, two touchdowns, one pick and a fumble. So that kind of put a damper on some of the fantasy numbers for him. But that looked to be the best one of the day in my mind. I mean, we had Hightower, 12 carries, 69 yards. He had eight catches for 57, but a lot of that was because we had our boy Mark Ingram go ahead and leave the game pretty early on with a concussion. Yeah, he got he got dinged pretty good, and, uh, you know, he was visibly upset on the sidelines when they are kind of like, you know what, we're taking your helmet, buddy. we got to go back to the locker room and put you in the protocol. Uh, because, you know, he's obviously – he's been in Peyton's doghouse before. So, I mean, any sort of semblance of, of losing playing time, like the idea of that, it's got to be a big bummer to Ingram, especially when he ran so well against, like, the 49ers a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll touch on Ingram and Hightower in just a bit, but to me it felt like the storyline from this game was just concussions. I mean, Luke Keekley leaving mm-hmm. two, and he had the concussion last year, which kept him out, I think, more than more than. I one think it was game. three games, actually. Yeah. So, for – um, IDP purposes, that's a big deal because Keekley was having a great game. He's, he had that return uh, kick that ended up not panning out. Yeah, but even still. Ted Ginn like, gave him props on how he set up his blocking on that one. <laughs> Ted Ginn, obviously, return man extraordinaire. Is he anymore, though? Uh, I mean, he's still got wheels. I mean, he scored well, yeah, a touchdown last fast, night. I, I almost think it's because he's such a, I would say, useful but not really useful part of the offense it's just more of a lack of options at uh, the carolina where they have to use him it's true in some capacity i mean look at he had three catches for 46 yards and a pretty nice touchdown i'll give him credit yeah. for that that was a really nice play and i think he's developed a lot more uh than when he was when he came out of the draft as the number 10 pick yeah he's, he's with the dolphins yeah right? he's turned himself into 
I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to be rude on this, but he's a, a complimentary receiver. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's a compliment to what we saw before his career. He was. I mean, he was totally one dimensional, like so raw, just like a go route, and that was about all he could run, I right. guess, coming out of school. So, uh, yeah, for him to sort of take the self assessment and the humility to be like, okay, I need to be more than just uh, a blazer. I just need to be able to, to refine my routes a little bit. And he's been able to do that. His hands are still a little bit spotty at times, obviously. But, no, he's he's lasted a lot longer than you would have thought, you know, three years into his career. You'd think, like, he'd be gone by now for, for sure. Is that more so because the Panthers receivers just haven't developed on the team? I mean, we had we talked about Devin Funches early on in the year. thought maybe he would be a candidate to break out. He had a great preseason and we really haven't heard from him since. I mean, we have right. other guys, Philly Brown, uh, last year. I can't even say if he's been much of a factor this year for them. But is that more of a reason for uh, Ginn sticking around, or is it really just that he's kind of turned himself into a better player? Uh, I think it's, it, it is a little bit twofold in that sense. I think uh, definitely last year with Kelvin Benjamin being out, Ginn obviously stepped up. I think that was probably his best year as a receiver. Didn't he have like 10 touchdowns yeah. last year or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think that was definitely enough for him to stick with the team. And then obviously with guys like Funches and Kelvin Benjamin, guys that are in their second and third years respectively, I think it's good and smart of the Panthers to just sort of have that veteran presence. And I think also um, Ginn, after the game last night, he was on with Rich Eisen and the whole gang, and he was giving a lot of credit to Ricky Prohl, uh, the wide receivers oh, yeah, the coach Rams down legend. there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> from that uh, from that NFC Championship game against the Bucks way back when. But yeah, um, so I guess he's he's a, a bit of a wide receiver guru, wide receiver whisperer, and I think he's been able to get the most out again. Okay. I, I was wondering, just thinking out loud, that he was more of a leadership guy at this point. He could have been a, a kind of boom and bust sort of player where he, he can teach these guys that have been drafted highly what it takes to succeed in the NFL because he himself had to work through all that too. And I think that could be a factor that he was on, that he's been able to stick around with the Panthers, Panthers and be an effective receiver he did have one carry for 13 yards and I honestly don't know why they don't use him more in that asset I think that there's we're seeing a little bit more in my mind receivers that can be able to be used in multi-dimensional ways almost like we rave about Reggie Bush being a receiver running back well sure. I think we're seeing more uh receiver running backs that you know traditionally receivers turning into running backs yeah I think uh you know I, I'm kind of going to softball this one into you here, but, uh, you know, a guy like Ty Montgomery. Right. right, and that's where I was setting up, too, but I was even thinking more like uh, Cordero Patterson, too. True. Where he's he's such an explosive talent, maybe not uh, a, sky, a skilled route runner, but enough where you have to have him the ball in certain instances, and you've seen the Vikings try to use him more, not effectively, obviously, because their <laughs> offense is just stalled beyond all point of fixing, it feels like. But yep. uh, there, there are more types of those receivers, and I'm wondering – if that's because we're seeing less dominant tight ends or if it's just these guys have a certain skill set and we need to find a way to utilize it as our offense goes. Yeah, it, fe- it feels more like like option B there. It feels more uh, to the effect of this guy might be a little bit limited and it, he's not the complete Antonio Brown type of receiver, but he has the athleticism. We just need to get the ball in his hands and need to get creative about doing that. And I think uh, there's more of an emphasis on spreading defenses out now. And I think that, you know, using a receiver in that capacity can be, you know, something that throws off a defense. That's fair. So we talked about the concussions a little bit. Mark Ingram, we're going to evaluate that as we go on. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like uh, Michael, I'm sorry, do you feel like Tim Hightower is going to be someone you're going to keep an eye on more now with Mark Ingram in this concussion protocol? Well, I feel basically the way it boils down for me is, you know, I was – 
you know, leading the charge of picking up Tim Hightower a couple weeks ago when it was basically announced that Ingram was going into the doghouse, sort of hit the panic button in recent weeks. But I, I did hang on to my to my Hightower shares, and I feel a lot better about that now. I think uh, no matter what, you know, whether Ingram is able to play next week or not, I still feel like uh, Hightower showed last night that he, he is really valuable out of the backfield as a pass catcher. I mean, catching eight out of nine targets, that's something that uh, is going to warrant plenty of snaps, especially on passing downs moving forward. So especially if you have him in PPR, you know, hang on to him. There's such a dearth of running backs that feels feels like right now where you have to – if you even have a guy that you know is going to get the snaps as a number two, if the number one was to go down, you have to keep him on your bench. There, yeah, unless you really are, well, you got a, uh, like a ton of other running backs. You can just say, all right, I can I drop him. I feel like that's where we, we're the point of the season where we have to keep those guys on the bench, not drop to Hightower initially, but just you know have him around in case the situation happens. Yeah, you seriously, I mean, at this point in the season, it, it it's basically – you know, how many of the lottery tickets do you have on your bench that are going to pay off? You know, like your, your Paul Perkins is, uh, your Kenneth Dixon's and so yeah. on. Uh, you know, if you hang if you held on to Chris Ivory or Bilal Powell, even, you know, guys, guys like that, just, you know, you want that number two running back on your bench, just in, you know, for the instance where, uh, RB one either gets hurt or kind of, uh, uh, just sort of loses his grip on the job. That's kind of the reason why I hung on to J.H.I. as long as I did. I didn't trust Narian Foster. Sure. I didn't think Damian Williams would end up being able to take those those snaps away. So once Ajayi got it right, if he got it right, would he would he be the starter and, and get the majority of the looks? I, I thought yes. I didn't think what he's done so far, obviously. I, I've been I don't blown think, away. I don't think anyone could have predicted that really coming into the year. Uh, but at the same time, that's why you had looked at him at starting out later rounds, drafting, you're bringing him in, saying, okay, this might be able to work if he's able to catch on, yada, yada, yada. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's break it down. Would you rather have Jonathan Stewart or Tim Hightower for the rest of the year? I'm just picking two running backs from this matchup, looking at it. You know, Stewart's came back from injury. He had an okay game. He scored a touchdown at least. He did yeah. a nice dive over the end, uh, at the end of there, but – would you rather have Hightower or Stewart moving forward? I think, you know, bottom line for me is opportunity as far as running backs are concerned and competition. So I think that Ingram, even if he doesn't play next week, he is going to be a factor in that backfield for the remainder of the season. Whereas Stewart, they, the Panthers just don't have a ton uh, behind Stewart, in my opinion. I mean, Mike, does Mike Tolbert really scare you off of Jonathan Stewart? No. Uh, I mean, really the only thing that scares you off of Stewart is Cam Newton vulturing the touchdowns at the goal line, but maybe Carolina is trying to limit uh, Cam's exposure to hits, or at least maybe they should be, uh, and maybe, you know, like last night, try to just catapult Stewart over the goal line. So I still like Stewart over Hightower overall for the remainder of the season. I haven't looked at their schedules to break that down yet, but I still feel like he is he's – one of the few sort of lead backs that, that you have that, that does have the bankable workload more so than uh, most. You talk about the running backs and, and Stewart and who would be limiting him. I honestly think Stewart is the one that's limiting Stewart. I, I don't think Stewart is actually that great of a back. You're right. He gets all the looks. He gets as far out of the backfield. And he gets the majority of the touchdowns or goal line opportunities. At least he should be. We just laughed at that before. But I really think they're going to try to transition to that a little bit more. But there's just something that he just doesn't have that explosiveness anymore. Right. Um, and I think that's the reason they released D'Angelo Williams. And we've seen that Williams has done very well with the Steelers. I don't know if that was really the right move. I wonder what Williams would have been able to do in this kind of system. Right. Because I know Stewart's getting the looks. And, and if you have Stewart on your roster, you're probably starting him as an RB2 at the very least. Mm -hmm. But against the Saints defense, you're definitely expecting more 
than the 18 carries for 31 yards and a touchdown. Absolutely. And he does nothing out of the backfield as far as receiving goes. Nope. And despite the fact that the, the Newtons are throwing the ball relatively a lot for, for a Panthers team, mm-hmm. it's just a little bit of a disappointment for me. If we knew that Ingram was going to be out for, I don't even say an extended time, but if we knew Ingram was going to be out for two or three games, I would absolutely say Hightower is the way to go, if only because of what you just said earlier where he caught eight of the nine targets. The Saints throw the ball a ton. They're going to be indoors for a few more of their matches, at least mm-hmm. home games, obviously. I think that Hightower presents a certain floor PPR-wise, and even just in standard leagues, that Stewart might not be able to provide because I just don't know if he has it anymore. That's, that's an interesting point. In, in like a two-game vacuum like that, if you know under the condition that Hightower is going to be the guy, then you might give the lean to Hightower. I think that's an interesting point. All right. Uh, Michael Thomas, emergence or lack of emergence from Kelvin Benjamin, which is the bigger surprise for you? Um, I think Michael Thomas, um, I know coming out, certain talent evaluators had Michael Thomas as, as wide receiver one in this past draft class, um, and I knew that he had the talent. Uh, he looked a little bit slow to me coming out of school, but, I mean, he's really starting to come on nicely. He's, he was always polished. He always had really great body control, really good hands. Uh, one, of the, one of the passes he caught last night on an out from Drew Brees caused Chris Collinsworth to make sounds that were very uncomfortable to the listener because he was so <laughs> excited about how good that throw and catch was. He does that once a game, yeah. at least, though. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think it is surprising to me that, that Thomas has been able to ingrain himself into that offense so so well so quickly, especially when you consider how the Saints always are. are it's hard to count on any one receiver, Saints receiver in a given game, it seems like. But he's been really consistent lately. So, I, I mean, I like what I've seen so far. Uh, I don't have any Kelvin Benjamin shares, so I can't say I've been tracking his lack of production too closely. But, I mean, do you have anything to add on to that? Well, we had talked the early, uh, earlier in the year about how I, I really liked Kelvin Benjamin. I was not worried about Devin Funchess's solid preseason. I thought Benjamin would get the fair share of the looks. If I was to say, which is the bigger surprise, Michael Thomas' emergence or Kelvin Benjamin lack of emergence, I think I would lean more towards Benjamin. And let's be clear, Benjamin's having a solid year. I mean, to, this, uh, to last week's game, he was having like 70 yards every game, it felt like. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't converting in the red zone. And right. that was surprising to me because I thought, like we were just scoffing at before, I thought the Panthers would opt to not use Cam Newton as much as a running back in the goal line situation. And when you have a guy as big as Kelvin Benjamin, whose specific skill set is to be able to box out somebody and go grab that ball in the red zone. Like he did in the national title game. I thought that's what they would use him more for. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it would be a, okay, between the 20s, he's who Cam Newton's going to be targeting the whole time. I didn't know if that would be, I thought that would be more of Greg Olson, but I at least thought Benjamin would be getting a floor for the touchdowns. Sure. And he just hasn't been. He No touchdowns in the last six weeks. That's a big disappointment to me. I know the yardage is there, but I'm more surprised that Kelvin Benjamin just has not gotten any red zone looks and, and converted on any of them, really. That's a bigger deal in my mind. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, if you considering where you were ha- having to go get Benjamin in your drafts, uh, that lack of touchdown production is certainly something that that's uh, probably dragging your team down at this point in the season. Speaking of where you had to go get a player in the draft, who is a bigger disappointment at the QB spot? Is Newton that number one guy for you? I mean, he's had a, a, not a miserable year, but certainly not up to his MVP expectations last year. And, and this game, 192 yards, one touchdown. Just five carries for seven yards it was nothing really good to look at either. And what is that completion percentage oh too? God. I mean, like he's, I mean, almost fifty percent. Yeah, well under. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, he's been a disappointment, especially, you know, like you said, uh, where you had to go get him. Uh, I, I assume he was going as QB1 this year, or I guess maybe Luck, Rogers, uh, Newton were sort of that tri- that top elite trio. Um, but so. you're taking him in the third, fourth, maybe fifth round. I mean, I think if you're in more of these expert leagues where you're, you're going against people that don't value the QB as much, you see him fall a little bit later. But for most standard leagues, for most standard people, this is Cam Newton third, fourth round at the very latest. Right. So at, at that price point, it, absolutely, it's a disappointment. I think that, that the Panthers kind of as a whole this year have been a disappointment. I don't think I'm out of line saying that, especially 11 weeks into the season. It looks like the, this is a team with the classic Super Bowl hangover. Well, and we knew they weren't going to be a 15-1 and team from last year. So to me, that's not a surprise. Did I think that they would be out of contention in the NFC South? I no. No, I, I didn't think so. I, I think that we are we're starting to finally realize what Josh Norman meant to that defense mm-hmm. and how they were able to get um, kind of cover the rest of the, the poor secondary with, with him being able to play well and the pass rush being effective. But at the same time, Cam, Cam Newton was an absolute monster last year for the entirety of the season. And we, we just aren't seeing that this year. We talked about the completion percentage, but his touchdown numbers are down, which right. were statistically pretty high. So we were expect, expecting a regression in that sorts. But sure. to me, I think he has to be, especially because of where you drafted him. I was looking at the other quarterback options. Blake Bortles has been a massive disappointment, but fantasy purposes, he's actually been okay. Yeah, can king of garbage him. time. Yeah, if you can just watch the last quarter and see him throw those two touchdowns, okay, well— then, then it's not as bad. So I really think that where you drafted Cam Newton, he's got to be one of the bigger disappointments at quarterback and, and maybe just overall of the non-injured players. He's been a massive disappointment. I think so too. So I, I know that you were you kind of joked about at the beginning of the, the podcast how awful the Saints were at the end of the game stuff, or at least I joked about it. Yeah. What were your thoughts? It s- seemed like there was no urgency whatsoever near the end of that fourth quarter. It was unbelievable because they had all the momentum on their side. You know, the, the Panthers yeah, were, were, were totally on skates. It seemed like the, the Panthers were, were really just kind of willing to let them come back into the game the way they did with the Chiefs last week. And it felt like it was all setting up that way. And the Saints are down 10, you know, five minutes left, and they, they're moving the ball at will for the most part, and they're not hustling to the line. They're huddling every, after every play. It's just very non-characteristic of what you'd expect from a Saints offense in a game where it's like, you guys put your foot on the gas and you can win this thing. You can steal a road win right here. But instead, they just kind of sat back, and uh, I don't know what Sean Payton was thinking by doing that, but, I mean, the Saints really should have – they killed themselves last night by not pushing the tempo towards the end. It was unbelievable how plotting they were. Well, the Saints have been a disappointment just as a whole this year. We're talking about the Panthers being a disappointment, but I think a few people expected the Saints to to rival the Panthers and maybe the Falcons in the NFC South, and that just hasn't been the case this year. Who's a bigger hot seat? Both these guys were looking at the Packers job a while ago before they hired McCarthy, but who's a bigger coach that's on the bigger hot seat, Mike McCarthy or Sean Payton? Um, I think I disagree with you about the expectations on the Saints a little bit. I don't think that or at least in my mind, I expected more than eight wins from them coming into this year, whereas McCarthy, it's all there, and I don't know what he's done with it. He's been – I'm sort of an agnostic guy towards the Packers. I'm a Ravens fan, a Maryland native. Um, so I just kind of watched the Packers from afar, and I, I thought after that 2014 uh, NFC Championship game, not to bring that up too hard, but why? I, I'm sorry, but like at that point, I just jumped off ship. I was like, McCarthy's an idiot. So, uh, yeah, for for me, I think he's got to be on the hot seat because he's doing less with with uh, what could be considered one of the better rosters. I know that uh, your defense has been really banged up, especially in the secondary, but 
uh, I think just some of this stuff has been just completely head scratching. I'll be completely honest. I brought up this question just so I could rail on McCarthy a little bit. Good. There's a lot of people in the office that I feel like are Packer fans here at Rotoware uh, who are looking to blame somebody else on the Packers. And I'm one of those people too. I'm looking to blame somebody else. But I consider myself a fairly intelligent NFL guy. I can look at the team. I can look at where we're at and say, okay, these are the talent players, talented players we have on our team. This is the coaching staff we have. This is We have one of the best quarterbacks, I don't know of all time, um, but close to that. If Projecting nothing, that yes. way. Where, where does this start to fall off? And yes, the defense has been ravaged by injuries, but I do the injury report for just about every other team. Everyone is ravaged by injuries. Yes. Everyone is ravaged by injuries. Okay, so is it Ted Thompson's fault that we don't have enough depth? Maybe. I would love for him to sign more free agents, but I think the route that he's been able to build this team together where we've been a perennial uh, contender for the NFC South, or I'm sorry, the NFC North crown, mm-hmm. um, has been built on the draft and not signing free agents, and that's part of being a smart organization. So in my mind, I don't really blame that so much on Ted Thompson. Do I blame it on Aaron Rodgers? And we see the, the hot takes that he's not a great leader or whatever. Okay. That may be, but I know he's a great quarterback. Yeah. And um, I think great quarterbacks can win you games, and I think they've been able to do that with Rodgers. So at the end of the day, I I start to fall on, yeah, I think this is McCarthy's fault that this is a problem. And I don't, I just don't buy that bad organizations can't fire their coaches. I, I don't know. You can actually speak to this a little bit more because the Ravens have struggled a bit the last two years, but I actually think that John Harbaugh is a good coach. Um, what, what's your take on what a bad organization and a good organization can do with their head coach? Uh, you know, at a certain point, I think people stop listening. I think that's sort of what happened. It, it, you know, Belichick is the exception to the rule. He's not the rule or, or the way that the Steelers have had three coaches since like my granddad was born or something. <laughs> right. Uh, that's, that's not normal. And I think, you know, Harbaugh, this is what his ninth season. I mean, how often or how, how crystal clear does that message come through when you've heard it for the millionth time? I just, I think people get tired of hearing the same crap over and over again, especially if it stops working, uh, like in the case of McCarthy right that's now. It. That's it. So, that's exactly it. When, yeah. it. when it stops working, then it's tough to be able to get the ears to be hearing what you need them to hear. Mm-hmm. I think McCarthy probably is a good coach. I don't think he's a good coach for the Packers. People say, can it get, can it get worse? Yes. Yeah, probably could. I don't think the Packers would hire somebody that would make it worse. Maybe that's just my blind fandom to them, but I, I don't think that they'll hire somebody that'll make it worse. I do think it can be better, and we are at the point expectation-wise of the organization, of, I'm speaking of a fan base, that we should be expecting them to be better. Right. We should be looking for them to be better because they have all the pieces that you need to be a contending team. And right now we have an under 50% chance of making the playoffs. That's not supposed to happen No, at all. Not with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. And a discussion. Yeah. And a discussion in my mind. All right, so everyone's favorite part of the Friday Fantasy DFS podcast, the kicker plays. Who are we looking at here for this week, John? Okay, so in the Tier 1, the, the guys that are actually expensive, uh, we got – so Tier 1, I consider 5000 and above. There's just three of them. Uh, Dan Bailey, 5100 uh, kicking at AT&T, at Jerry World, going against the Ravens, uh, who have Justin Tucker. He's priced at 5000 so about the same there. And then we got Adam Vinatieri uh, checking in at 5000 this week. So among that tier – 
I mean, you can't go wrong. It's really just a matter of do you you construct your lineup in a way where you have that extra $500 to instead of go for a a minimum price kicker, uh, you know, pay up for sort of the the luxury kicker where you can get uh, several uh, long field goal attempts or or just bankable a lot of points. You know they're going to make it every time. And then Tier 2, we got Goskowski checking in at 4,900. Cairo Santos, a personal favorite of mine, uh, for the Chiefs, just because it seems like that offense loves to sputter out and give Santos a, a chance. <laughs> uh, Dustin Hopkins, Stephen Hauschka, uh, both 4,800. Uh, Jason Myers, Mason Crosby checking in at 4,700. Uh, Boswell of the Steelers and Matt Prater of the Lions, those are both 4,600. I always say to stay away from Boswell, even if like that's a it's a high-scoring Pittsburgh offense, because Tomlin always goes for two. Right. So that that cuts down on the floor there. You're at least losing one or two points of that. Of those names that you mentioned, I really am a Hauschka fan in this situation. I I think that despite the Eagles being a good defense, I really think that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are on another level right now offensively. and they're at home. Right. I think that they'll be able to move the ball, whether they can get and score touchdowns. I I don't know. I really do think the Eagles' defense is good. Um, So that means Hauschka's going to have an opportunity to kick field goals, and I think he's going to kick a lot of them. I think this is going to be a high-scoring-ish game, Mm -hmm. maybe like a 27-21 type of deal, and I could see uh, Hauschka being a big deal as far as kicking field goals for the Seahawks. Yeah, no, that that would uh, would definitely be a hitting value if if the Seahawks put up 27. You know that that Hauschka would be definitely factoring into that a good bit. And then amongst the minimum price guys, uh, the the Rotowire Optimizer uh, really likes Mike Nugent a lot, uh, projecting him at 14 points, which I think is like the second highest projection uh, that we're giving a kicker this week. So, I mean, if that comes to fruition, then then that pays off huge for you if you use him in your lineup. Uh, home against the Bills, I could see some drives fizzling out. So I, I think that there is uh, some good rationale behind that. Uh, so Nugent is definitely an option uh, if you're kind of punting at the kicker position. I think that that's probably a good way to go, too, as well. I mean, 14 points seems to be uh, on the cherry side of optimism. Um, right. But at the same time, we've seen kickers score a lot of points this year. And at least in my leagues, I don't know about anybody else's, but at least in my leagues, I feel like kickers have decided a lot of matches for me and kind of like big money ones, too. So it's not something to scoff at. I've almost been playing kicker roulette lately. I mean, we talk about defense, defensive roulette, but kicker roulette's kind of been the way I've been going. And when... Uh, Josh Lambeau isn't playing like he isn't this week for the Chargers in the bye week. That's kind of the way I've been going. Just switch up whatever one I think works best. Yeah, I think that, I think that's the way to go. I, I like to stream my kickers as well. Probably uh, unless I have a like a, a Justin Tucker or a Dan Bailey. Yeah, or even Gaskowski or whatever too. Sure, but I have a no Patriots rule for my fantasy team. Okay, that's a good rule to live by. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid that Mike Dory is going to end up hearing us and, <laughs> oh, and just no. come storming into the office and yelling at our You're podcast. <laughs> All right, well let's have a word from our uh, sponsors, FanDuel. Fantasy football fans have all the victory every Sunday. Fantasy football fans everywhere. New contests starting every week. No busted seasons. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score real time. New this year, upgraded experience. Get even more contest variety. Try beginner contests for new players only. Settle score with a friend in a head-to-head contest. Try a 50-50 contest where the top half win cash. Play in larger tournaments for even more excitement. Play for a dollar. Choices for every budget. How about that? I mean, I, I love FanDuel as far as uh, we, we talk about this every week, I feel like, but just it feels clean. It does. I, I do love the look of the of the site, the way they've sort of redone it. And I like just like the, the, the contest variety that you mentioned. I, I think it, it's it's a different way of, of approaching your lineup 
given uh, what kind of tournament that you go into or, or if you're playing in a 50-50. I think that's, that's really interesting to to just have that different approach where you would consider a guy, for me, it's a guy like Akeem Hunt this week. It's just like a totally off-the-wall thing. I would totally uh, think about using him in a GPP when it's, when it, you know, it's a, it's a huge player pool or a huge uh, entry pool contest because I think Alfred Blue might be out, and we've seen that uh, Lamar Miller is a little bit dinged. So, I mean, Hunt, I remember watching him in college. He was a track star at Purdue in addition to being a kick returner. Uh, so that guy can burn, and they've already said that he's going to be uh, in the game plan this week. So he's a guy that I would consider for minimum price. It's just it's interesting how you can approach different lineups different ways, and I think uh, it just makes you look look and evaluate at different players so differently. Now you're just trying to flex your college football muscles a little bit. Uh, yeah, that was pretty blatant, I guess. Come on now. Just stop rubbing that in my face. <laughs> we, we already got that down. You know way more college football than, than me. Well, if you want to play John or any of the other Rotowire experts, go ahead and head over to the Rotowire Championship by going to fanduel.com slash rotowire hyphen championship. That's where you can take on all of us and uh, see if you got the smart takes for it. Yeah, let's go. John, do you want to break down our, our fantasy lamps? I'm not sure the best way to do this. I was kind of thinking I'd read off my quarterback. You go your quarterback. Yes. All right, let's, let's do that it. That sounds like a good way to go. I'm going to defer to you because you are the college football expert. You are the DFS expert. You are everything expert. So I'll oh, let you pshaw. start first First on this one. Uh, I mean, some of my FanDuel picks this year have been a little bit off, but I had a lot of time to research today, so I am feeling pretty good about what I'm about to suggest to everybody. And number one is going to offend you right off the bat, so this is a good start. Um, <laughs> I got Kirk Cousins checking in at 7,600 at home against Green Bay Sunday night. Uh, Kirk Cousins quietly, just under the radar, uh, fourth in the league in passing yards at 2,716 thus far. He's going against the 18th-ranked uh, pass defense in terms of DVOA. And then I'll get into this a little bit more in a minute when we get into our receivers but Green Bay ranks 28th against opposing teams, number one wide receiver, number 29 against teams, number two receivers, uh, but they're good against tight ends. They're number 10 against tight ends. So that means that I might consider a Redskins stack that does not include Jordan Reed this week. I don't blame you for starting anybody against the Packers. I have been a fan all of my life, I think, you know, ever since I came out of the womb, it's been a Packer fan through and through. Sure. And uh, last week was one of the first times that I can remember that I just turned off the Packer game in the first quarter. After after we didn't get anywhere on the onside kick, after DeMarco Murray ran first play for a long touchdown, that was it for me. And that's where I'm at as a fan. And I, I feel confident saying that a lot of Wisconsin feels the same way because of this exact thing. Whether it's run, whether it's pass, they can't stop anybody and I think Kirk Cousins at 7600 is a really good value uh especially because you can go a little bit cheaper on quarterback and then go up higher elsewhere exactly that was my thinking that's kind of my thinking too with my quarterback and and I like your Kirk Cousins one but I actually like this pick more and this might not offend you but it might offend the entire world um I'm going with Blake Bortles actually for this week fan duel 7200 yes so hear me out John they're playing the Lions at Detroit. So we got Ford Field. We got the stadium where we we got some coverage. No weather worries right now, even though it's going to be a nice, crispy, cool in Detroit. Right. Um, the Lions have allowed the second most fantasy points to quarterbacks and third most touchdowns. I think they've allowed 20 this year. I know it's going to look ugly. I wouldn't recommend watching this game at all on Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, not Thanksgiving. I'm jumping ahead because <laughs> I feel like, well, actually, no, I'll get to that later. Um, but Sorry, everyone. Uh, I really wouldn't recommend watching this game at all. I think it's going to be ugly. I think Blake Bortles is going to be scoring 
touchdowns at the end of the third and fourth quarter because he can't throw any in the beginning of the first half. But I think he's going to get his 20 to 22 fantasy points. And for 7,200, I think that's perfect. Lions pass defense, I just said before, stat-wise, they haven't been great. But more importantly, I think this is going to be a little bit of a trap game. Uh, I could they, see that. They play the Vikings next week on Thanksgiving, which is what I was trying to jump ahead to. And I think that's going to be a bigger NFC North contest. I could just see them focus more on that one as opposed to this game against the Jaguars where the Jags just haven't been that successful. And I think Blake Bortles could end up doing really well. I think that's an interesting play. And I think that, you know, like we've said before and like you alluded to in your breakdown right there, Bortles, it's going to be ugly for that, those first two, two and a half quarters. Uh, I think Johnson Batamosi, fellow Gonzaga Eagle, is going to have an interception of Blake Bortles. I think that's going to happen. But Stop I, busting out the random names. Hey, man, I mean, <laughs> you went to Gonzaga. What can I say? Um, so it, the high school also, <laughs> just, just, just saying. Um, but, I, yeah, Bortles is, is is the king of garbage time. So, I mean, that's, that's always something that you like to see, especially – since the Jags always are in garbage time. Yeah, always. All right, give me your running back so we can just move past this horrible game. Okay, um, we got Le'Veon Bell here. I know it's chalky. It is probably the chalkiest play of the week going against the Browns, and, you know, FanDuel's going to make you pay out the nose for him at 9,100, but not as much as you would have had to pay last week for, like, David Johnson against the Niners. I think he was priced at 9,400, so a little bit better there. But I just think that... Uh, if he gets 20 touches, which he has been lately routinely, uh, that could that could equate to 200 total yards from scrimmage right there off the bat. Uh, you factor in some catches there, so that that you know stacks things up in, in Fanduel's half point PPR scoring. I think he could get a touchdown, and I think D'Angelo Williams just got ruled out, and there's going to be plenty of garbage time, so the Steelers could take the air out of the ball a little bit and just pound Le'Veon. Uh, just all the way through, and the Browns aren't going to be able to do anything to stop it. That was one of the first names that I saw when we were doing this, when we were putting our fan duel lineups together. I thought Le'Veon's going to have a terrific game. I think that 200 uh, scrimmage yards is a little optimistic, but I don't think that um, he'll be a bad play by any means. I honestly think he'll probably get two touchdowns, and I feel like that's I would go over on that if we were having to do over under two touchdowns. I really think the Steelers have been looking to him offensively, and it's not to say that Ben Roethlisberger is still hurt, or lingering at all, but I just think that they're trying to get Le'Veon more involved in the offense. When we were talking about our, our season-long plays at the beginning of the year, Le'Veon was a guy I would target, and it was partially because I knew he'd be having two matchups against the Browns yeah. you know, every season, and, and this, is, this is one of those times where you just use him, and I, I don't think you look twice. I think this is one of those plays that you definitely use, and if we weren't trying to have different lineups, I would have had him in there too. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a lock for me this week. And then I think my running back too is C.J. Procise. Uh, he checks in at 4,900 against Philly. Uh, I think that it's, the Seahawks made it pretty clear this week that they're pretty stoked about C.J. Procise because they just went ahead and just cut Christine Michael. Just <laughs> see you later, dude. Thanks again, but uh, yeah, later. Um, so I don't know how much Rawls is going to play this week, but I do know that Procise, I, I would imagine, is going to be uh, the lead the lead snap getter of, of the running backs for the Seahawks this week. And he was a former uh, receiver at Notre Dame before transferring or switching to uh, running back last year, so he's still kind of learning the nuances of being a running back, but he showed to be pretty effective at that. And he's caught 15 of his 16 targets this season in each of his last 12. Uh, if, if you remember watching that game last weekend, uh, Wilson's throw to him down the sideline between oh, two defenders. Yeah. And, I mean, he adjusted the ball just like you would see a receiver. So that was just a, a thing of beauty. Um, so I think that's a really nice play. Plus, he's only 4,900, like I said. 
and Philadelphia ranks 24th in the NFL as far as stopping opposing running backs out of the backfield in terms of pass catching context. You really did your work today yeah, for this. I did. You brought all brought the it. statistics for that. Let's I, go. I don't even have all these fancy things that you're doing. I'm just looking at who's going to be the best player. And in my mind, if we're not going Le'Veon Bell as top of the chart running back, then it's got to be DeMarco Murray. I, I talked about how I was frustrated with the, the Packers game. I didn't watch any of it after he had that long run. But that guy has been a, a run, well, I was going to say renovation for some reason, but a rejuvenation of sorts. Yes. Uh, and he's been amazing so far. They're going against the Colts. I think this game ends up being a pretty high-scoring affair. And I know that Mariota and his band of receiving brothers who no one can name but will always get three touchdowns a game, whatever. Right. They're going to get their fair share of points. I get that. But I think Murray's still going to do damage. Colts just have a bad yeah, defense it's just in general. Through through. It's just horrible. They can't stop the pass or run. And I think this is going to be a situation where Murray can really take advantage. I don't think he can go wrong spending money for the top any of the top three running backs. So Ezekiel Elliott, too, I know he's going against the Ravens. They actually have a very good run defense, but I just think that the, the offense is running through Zeke so much that he's a player that I would look to target as yeah, well. Yeah, and uh, especially if uh, Timmy Jernigan is out for the Ravens, he's one of their better run stuffers. He's, he missed practice with a shoulder yesterday. So if he's out, that, that leaves. Uh, I think that makes the Ravens' defensive front a lot more vulnerable, and I think Zeke would have a nice game uh, that way. I don't think he can go wrong with any one of them. So. That's that's my estimation. I think it, if you're paying down for a quarterback like both John and I are, this is a situation where you can go ahead and take advantage of any one of those running backs. The other running back that I was looking at, James Starks, 5,500, going against the Redskins. You talked about Kirk Cousins, Packers defense, awful. You know what? Redskins defense has not been that great this year against the run either. True. They had a great game against the Vikings last week. But I think anybody could have a great game against the Vikings at this point. Yeah, the Vikings are just giving it away right now. I don't understand what's happening. And it's not like Matt Asiata or Jarek McKinnon are all-star players anyway. So I wouldn't take that uh, and say, okay, they're going to shut down people. James Starks is actually a pretty good receiver out of the backfield. True. But even so, the Redskins have allowed the fourth most rushing yards this season. I think Starks is going to be back and healthy. They're going to use him a little bit more. And I could even see him factoring in the passing game um, when they inevitably go down is really what I'm right. kind of thinking. I don't think they're going to put Christine Michael in there. I think you could see Ty Montgomery out of the backfield, but I don't know if they're going to be using him that much. So I think Starks yeah, didn't is he only be... see you know ten or fifteen snaps last week. Yeah, I don't. I think it goes up because I think again, I think it's going to be a little bit of a high scoring affair. But I still don't know if uh, if anyone else is going to really rival Starks as far as carries go. Yeah, and when he's still getting looks out of the backfield receiving wise, he caught his touchdown last week. Mm-hmm. About the only good thing that the running backs have done for the Packers this season. Right. I think he's a, a guy that you can look at for 5,500 and reasonably say that he's going to get you 15, 17 points, whether it ends up being through rushing yards or through a plethora of receiving uh, catches. As yeah, they're that, that's great value if he tri- if he you know is able to sort of triple up on, on his price uh, points. So that would be that'd be great. That'd be a great game, and I could totally see where a scenario where that happens, yeah. especially if, like you said, game flow dictates that the Redskins are up, Packers trying to just play hurry up and, and you know. Just get the ball moving it downfield. I think Starks is a great way of doing that. So I think I could definitely see a, ca- a case where he gets those 15 to 17. All right, walk me through your receivers here. We got three of them for, for each of us. All right, the way I approach receivers is I got to have at least one of the elite guys. You, you know, your AJ Green, Antonio Brown types. Um, I'm going with OBJ this time around. I was really impressed with what he was able to do uh, Monday night against the Bengals. I think a soft matchup at home against the Bears. The Bears just seem to be quitting right now. Uh, so I think that OBJ, you know, he's 9000 So that's two $9,000 players in my lineup. But I swear the math does work out in the end. Um, he's just, he's just going to rip it up. Uh, there's really not a whole lot of science behind this pick. It's just, you know, chalk. And I think 
I'm avoiding, it's more to say that I'm avoiding Antonio Brown for those game flow reasons that I mentioned why I think Le'Veon is such a good play because they're going to, they're going to take the, you know, the air out of the ball a little bit in the second half. I think that that's going to cut down on Brown's upside there. Uh, my wide receiver too, Devonte Adams checking in at 7,600. Uh, so he's your guy. And, uh, the Redskins rank dead last in DVOA against wide receiver two, AKA, uh, whenever Josh Norman isn't covering somebody, that person just absolutely eviscerates the Redskins. Uh, so, you know, on the snaps that Norman isn't covering him, I think that Adams has a huge day. Uh, he's averaging just under 12 targets on, on, after his last four games. So that's a volume that you can totally get behind. That's that's really great for, for a guy that's only 7,600. You know, I, I would pay probably closer to 8,000 for him uh, just based on recent production and volume. So I, th- I like that matchup a lot. And then... Uh, going back to my Redskins stack, um, I'm going to go with Pierre Garçon. And I I understand where if you want to go with Jameson Crowder this week as well. And I think Deshaun Jackson, he's going to be a true game-time decision is what it's looking mm-hmm. like with the shoulder. Uh, if he's out, then I'm definitely using either Garçon or Crowder. Crowder's a little bit more expensive, and I think he's going to have a little bit higher of an ownership because I think he's he's got more flash and pizzazz to him right now. I think the the name Pierre Garcon can kind of lull people to sleep now, and I think that's going to sort of result in a low ownership percentage for him. But at 5,700, he does lead the team in targets with 65 targets, uh, so I just think that he's going to have the opportunity. I think it's a, a, a good matchup against a you know pretty bad slash banged up Packers secondary. So 5,700, I think that's uh, you know it's a punt play price for uh, you know wide re- wide receiver two production. I'll say this. If Deshaun Jackson is able to play, he's a guy that I would look to sneak in my lineup as a, a wide receiver three, if only because that's the kind of guys the Packers historically have not been able to cover for years. Uh, we look at, and I've watched a lot of the games this year, they get beat deep so often. It's not like there's a double move. It's not like they're doing an out and up, nothing like that. No, it's just somebody that runs past one of the guys, Demetrius Goodson or Ladarius Gunter, whoever ends up being the sixth cornerback that day that's out there, mm-hmm. and they run straight and catch the touchdown. I really think Deshaun Jackson, if he plays, will be in a prime position to do that. Obviously, HaHa Clinton Dix or Morgan Burnett won't be able to keep up with them as far as safety coverage. So I like your idea with Pierre Garçon. It's interesting that he leads the team with 65 targets. I know that they lost their number one receiver, well, the guy they drafted in the number one round right away early in the year with the injury stuff. But right. I would have been, I would never have guessed that he had 65 targets and led the team. I would have thought it'd be Vernon Davis. It's, even, it's, a, it's, a slim, it's a slim lead. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or Jordan Reed for sure. But uh, yeah, he, he leads Crowder by two targets, I believe if I remember correctly. Okay. And, and you mentioned Devonte Adams and honestly, I had him in my lineup when I was putting it together before. And then I took him out, not because I don't think he's going to do well. I, I really do. But I thought for people right around that price, there are so many guys more than I think can go off. And that's okay. more because I think the Packers offense can get a little stagnant at times. And while Adams is beginning a ton of targets, maybe, just maybe, they can try to find a way to diversify the offense, get a few more carries, get a few more throws up the backfield to Montgomery or to Cobb, which he just have not been used at all this year. It's yeah, been I know, stunning. It's been bizarre. Um, and, and then Adams gets his targets cut down to seven, eight, nine, and puts up like 80 yards and a touchdown. Okay. You'd still be happy with that, but sure. it's a little less than what you're expecting now. Mm-hmm. So with Josh Norman on him potentially too, that makes a big deal for me. And that's, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. Okay. My receivers I'm looking at, again, I liked your idea with the, the top receiver, but because I've went cheap at tight end and quarterback, I can even go higher up with some of these guys. So nice. Antonio Brown, you talked about how the Steelers are going to take the ball or are going to take the air out of the ball in the second half. I agree with that. 
I don't think they're going to do that in the first half. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. where Antonio Brown is going to be able to go ahead and, and take advantage. I think especially in big tournaments, they're going to steer away from this game because we think the Steelers are going to just crush the Browns. Right. So you're going to get a little bit of a low ownership for a guy that is statistically just been a stud uh, and consistent for most of the year. And then um, I love the, you know, Brown against Browns kind of thing. I'm a little bit of a name guy. But besides that, uh, <laughs> this name is my worst-case scenario I'm projecting, Steelers jump ahead by the end of the first half, like a 28-7 to lead, uh, and Brown gets his usual five catches, 60-70 to yards. That's not great, but you'd still be able to feel good about that. That's the worst-case scenario, right? Right, Would for you the say first half? Yeah, for the first half. Okay. You think that's a fair worst-case scenario? Yeah, honestly, against the Browns, absolutely. Right, okay. So here's the best-case scenario, and I think it honestly could potentially happen where the Browns are close throughout the whole game and then end up losing by 10 points at the end of the fourth quarter, which means that they're then using Antonio Brown throughout most of the game. Maybe he doesn't get touchdowns, but I bet you can get targets, and he'll be able to turn those targets into yards and yards into more yards. That's true. So for me, the worst-case scenario where he gets five to six catches still outweighs what I could be getting you know, for somebody if I paid a little bit lower price. Well, I, I really hope that he doesn't go worst-case scenario here because you are paying 8900 so you, you can't have that where you, you know, you're, you're paying for best-case scenario. Right, you're right. And I think that best-case scenario is, is... Is more more likely than the worst case. I think it really is. I think it could be. The, the Browns, Browns are so played, bad. They played this, they've played, not the Steelers, but they've played other teams very competitively for the beginning of the season, at least, or like around there. And I think a division game, this could be one of those situations where they, they play them competitively. They're, they're coming off a long week. You know, they, they last played last Thursday, whereas the Steelers just had a, you know, really ground-out game that dra- drug on into, into Sunday evening. So, I mean, there could be a little bit of, of fatigue for the Steelers, more so than the Browns, perchance, as well. I, I don't even know about that. I think the Steelers' talent is just better than the Browns. And I get you trying really? to make a compelling case for Antonio Brown. But at the same time, I really believe that this could be a closer game than many expect. And if nothing else, he's going to have low ownership rates in, in bigger tournaments, and I think you can take advantage of that. That's well, how like you it. have to win those tournaments anyhow. That's true. All right, so my second receiver, and this is this is the guy I took or put in for Devontae Adams, Mike Evans at 8,000. So if I'm going cheaper at tight end than quarterback, that allows me to get two receivers. And Evans at this point is match-proof. That's, yeah. that's kind of how I think. I mean, he's just two games without 10 targets, just two games the entire year. He was scaring everybody last week when like he, he just didn't have a target for a while, but you know, in general. I and agree. he was able to turn around. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm saying just ignore that last week because, again, two target, or two games where he hasn't had less than 10 targets. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to me. He's seen at least one red zone target in four of the last five games. Nice. And should the Bucks go down, which I think is possible against the Chiefs, they, they can run a slower game. I think Evans is the guy you're going to be forcing the ball to, and for the most part, he's been getting those catches. It's as simple as that to me, and uh, I, I think that he'll at least get a touchdown. If yes. A touchdown or right around there, I think you're definitely looking at that, and I feel confident in saying that. I agree. Yeah, Evans is, Evans is a guy that in other lineups, I will definitely have him in there. The last guy, and this goes along with my Blake Bortles stack, but Allen Robinson needs to be in every single lineup this week. Oh, okay. At $7,300, 300 less than Devontae Adams, who I like but not nearly as much as Robinson in this scenario, against the Lions defense with Blake Junk Time Bortles throwing the ball to him, he's going to be great. Uh, Robinson has seen at least 10 targets the last three games. You're paying for the price that he was you know, three weeks ago when he was doing just dreadful. Right. But he should be going way higher. This way, like I think he should be around the Mike Evans price, especially against – the lines. Yeah, that's a good point. So in my mind, this is this is an easy start and play, especially if you have Blake Bortles in your lineup like I do. I would go Allen Robinson every single time. That was the first guy I slotted in there, and I was able to build my roster around accordingly. Like it. 
All right, give me your tight end. We got a couple more to go here. Okay, I'm going to go with Delaney Walker uh, of the Titans. Uh, he was just an absolute monster last week. Uh, he checks in at a, at a pretty reasonable price. I believe he's in like the 6,400 range. Yes, yeah, 6,400. Um, so he's going against Indianapolis. Uh, like you said with Murray, it's just a good idea to to go uh, heavy against Indianapolis. Uh, I definitely have Marriott as a consideration for other lineups. Um, Walker's a guy that's facing an Indianapolis defense that it ranks 31st in the in the league against tight ends. I mean, what more do you want? Um, I think he's just an absolute no-brainer. You don't have to pay a ton to go get him. Um, and then if you want to go for a, a more interesting GPP route, um, I think you got to think about the Steelers tight ends a little bit because the Browns are the only team that rate worse against opposing tight ends. Okay. Although I'm a little bit like I initially was like Jesse James. Yeah, he's a guy. But uh, apparently Ladarius Green is going to is going to play a bit more this week. So I'm worried about uh, the things kind of evening out between the two of them uh, to where it's hard to really pick one that's going to do quantifiably better. You talked about Le'Veon Bell being the chalkiest play. I think Delaney Walker is the chalkiest play. He's clearly the number one option as far as passing game goes. For the Titans, he's been consistent all year. He's been a great tight end. And Mariota's security blanket and just deep threat at times. Too. Yeah. He's been able to do everything. So that one seems to be a no-brainer for me. But if you're looking to go cheaper and you want to go higher in receivers like I did, I thought Jack Doyle at 5000 was actually a terrific price. Even with Dwayne Allen back from his injury, Doyle has still been a threat for the Colts. You look back to when Doyle last played the Titans in Week 7, he had nine catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. I understand Allen was out then. But I still think you're going to see more targets for him in this game. And in that last game against Week 7, right, five yep. targets in the red zone. That's as many as he's wow. had all year. So he's probably not going to get five targets in the end zone against the Titans this go-round. But you can bet that he's going to get a lot of receptions or at least looks his way as the season or as the game goes on. And to me, it just seems like a, a no-brainer kind of value kind of deal, especially when you look at what he did against the Titans last week. Definitely. Or, I'm sorry, not last week, but Week 7. Last time. Uh, I've ran through my kicker already. I'm already using Stephen Hauschka. Are you changing it up on the kicker? Uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Justin Tucker. I think the Ravens will do well to just uh, have plenty of drives totally fizzle out. They they aren't explosive enough to really put up touchdowns against the Cowboys. And Tucker, you know, as long as you get the ball to like the 40-yard line, he can probably bury a field goal. You just have to go a fanboy with little, one of these picks. A little bit. And then I am, <laughs> uh, I'm for defensive purposes, I'm going to stick in that game and sort of marry that. I know that you know, Tucker's points would, would count against the Cowboys, but I mean, the Cowboys, uh, I think their defense, uh, I think this matchup uh, works out really well for them. I don't think the Ravens score a ton, at least touchdown wise. I think, you know, the Ravens might have 12 points all on field goals type of deal. I could see that. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I think for my defense um, and this one seems to be kind of what everyone, the consensus seems to be. If you're not going Steelers defense, you're going to be going the Dolphins defense. Going against Jared Goff, his first start. I think Goff actually probably does okay. If really? nothing else, I, I don't like Goff. We have talked about this at the beginning of the year. I don't like Goff. I don't think he's going to be an NFL-caliber quarterback. I think for this first game, they've been planning the whole season for a solid game plan for Jared Goff. The whole season they've been planning something like this. They had better get him to look serviceable for at least one game. But still, I think he's going to end up throwing at least one or two interceptions. And the Dolphins have a decent pass rush. They got to Phillip Rivers five times, I think, last week. And they had, obviously, that uh, pick six at the end of the game for the mm -hmm. Chargers. I don't think that's going to happen again. But uh, you have a, a decent chance, the floor at least, in the sacks. So I don't think Goff is going to be able to get through that. Right. And he's probably going to be prone for turnovers, whether it be an interception or fumble. So to yes. me, that seems like an easy start. And uh, it was able to work in my lineup pretty easily. Yeah, I think the, the way that that game is going to look is going to look a lot like week one 
that Monday night game of the Rams oh, against the 49ers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, plug in Dolphins' superior defense, but similar dreadful offensive showing from the Rams where they ju- they see that there's an eight-man box, but they're like, well, we already called a run play, so, uh, yeah, here it is. You don't and, think Goff's going to get audible opportunities? This <laughs> first game? I just, I just don't think that they're going to, like, move. I think there might be, like, if you put the over-under at possessions where they go across – the 50-yard line, I'd put it at, like, three and a half. Oh, God. I mean, that's an NFL team, though. They can't go across that. Are the Rams really an NFL offense, though? <laughs> like, the, the, the team itself, sure, but goodness, that offense is dreadful. Can you remember when Todd Gurley was supposed to be the number one overall? I remember. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's been just a dreadful year for them all. I'm very all sad season. about it. It's bad. All right, well, this was fun, John. Uh, I appreciate it being able to come on. We get to do this again next week, right? Yes, yep. Day after Thanksgiving, we're both going to be f- – really logy and and you know tired and full of tryptophan from our turkey sandwich leftovers but uh it should be a good show next friday as well i'm probably gonna be shoveling down at least four pieces of pie during our podcast on friday too good. so just audience be aware john be aware that you're probably going to hear me muffled i mean once or twice <laughs> during this thing but i'm looking forward to it again ace is a place with the helpful hardware folks at ace your backyard's right in our backyard which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood like premium bird seed suet birdhouses and feeders stop by your local ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want including ace wild bird food on sale now now through tuesday only when you buy two 20 pound bags of wild bird food get a third bag free only at ace the helpful place offer valid through february 28th at participating stores everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.